I still remember the day I learned how to play checkers. It was a rainy afternoon in first grade where we were forced to have recess indoors. Nothing bums a six-year-old and his buddies out more than that, but checkers became our saving grace. It's a pretty simple game, so it wasn't that hard to pick up, and a few stormy afternoons later, my friends and I had the strategies figured out, and intense competition ensued. I also remember the day I learned how to play chess. It was another rainy day where it was useless to try to go outside, but this one didn't take an afternoon. In fact, several years into playing it, I still feel like I've barely scratched the surface because chess is a lot different than checkers. Checkers is about being able to think one move ahead, but chess is about understanding the bigger picture. In chess, you have to learn to think three, four, five moves ahead of your opponent. Whoever can think bigger wins. And that is what this episode is all about. Welcome to Stories in Scripture, a podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible one piece at a time. This season, one man learns the key to life isn't power or privilege, but a new way of seeing the world. The man watches the other powerful men in the temple, the Pharisees. They wait near the back of the temple in the shadows. He is familiar with their patience, a tactic learned over many years of winning debates and influence in the temple. Let the weaker ones go first. Let them make the mistakes. Sit back, study your opponent. The Pharisees are difficult to deal with. They see themselves as superior to the other religious leaders. They follow the law to the smallest stroke. They literally wear it on their bodies daily. They know how much God must love and favor them because of their dedication to the law, not a letter missed. They also know that this has made them visible. All eyes are on them in the temple, especially now that they've thrown the challenge to the rabbi. Better not show their strength yet. Send out the Herodians. The one they choose makes his way to the center of the temple. The young man is bent on keeping order, making sure that the Jewish people and their Roman governors live in peace. His walk betrays the deeper anxieties, taut and terse steps beating a staccato along the stone. He's strung tight as a harp, but he's sharp and quick. He'll be able to trip up this rabbi. The Herodians were an interesting political group. Rome appointed a guy named Herod Anapis to oversee much of the land during these days. And as you can probably guess from their name, the Herodians were supporters of Herod. They wanted to see him in power. In other words, they supported Rome. Now, there's a lot of debate as to whether they were really in favor of Herod or just in favor of the favor favoring him gave them. But regardless, this day in the temple, you see them teaming up with Pharisees, which is fascinating because the Herodians stood for everything the Pharisees couldn't stand. We'll get to the Pharisees more later, but essentially, they believe Jews should be set apart, not teaming up with the enemy to gain leverage. The Herodians and the Pharisees were enemies, usually. But here they're working together. The question is why? Well, because they have a mutual enemy bringing them together. 
The Pharisees and the Herodians are intimidated by Jesus and his subversive message. So they're putting aside their massive differences to take care of this problem. They're unified over a greater enemy. Herod wanted Jesus dead and so did the Pharisees. So for the moment, enemies have become allies. The Herodian staggers tightly up to the rabbi. The rabbi turns calmly and smiles. Teacher, the Herodian ventures. We know that you are a man of integrity. You teach the ways of God according to the truth. Others do not sway you. You don't pay attention to who they even are. The disciples of the rabbi grin, as if to say, why do people start with flattery? They should know he doesn't care. This man doesn't even recognize the irony of what he says. The Herodian takes a sharp, deep breath. The man in the corner can see the twinkle in his eye. He thinks he's got him. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? The Herodian is trying to put Jesus into a corner. This is a fantastic question loaded with a ton of cultural and religious baggage. So before we go any further, let's unpack it for a few minutes. First, this man is a Herodian, so he's obviously a fan of paying taxes. But he's asking a rabbi if, according to God's law, every good Jew should be doing this. Now, the general consensus on this question, whether or not it was verbalized, was most certainly no. According to Deuteronomy 17.15, if there is a king set over the Israelites, he must be one of their own. So according to the law, at least at one level of interpretation, the Roman emperor was not actually their king. And remember, the Herodian is trying to turn the people against Jesus. So if Jesus is for the tax, he will undoubtedly lose the respect of the people. So Jesus should just oppose the tax, right? Well, it's not that simple. Because Rome is technically in charge at this point, meaning if Jesus revolts against them, the Herodian wins because he can simply hand him over to the Roman officials. In other words, the Herodian has Jesus trapped. If he opposes the tax, he has to deal with Rome. If he is for the tax, he has to deal with the people. The Herodian has Jesus in a corner. Brilliant move if you're playing checkers. The temple goes still. No sound. The silence oppressive and uncomfortable for everyone, except the rabbi. He doesn't appear to be scrambling for an answer. He stares off into the distance, vaguely towards the Holy of Holies, his mind elsewhere. He turns his attention back to the Herodian, tilting his head to the side. Why are you trying to trap me? The rabbi says without anger or frustration. He seems genuinely curious about why the Herodian would do this. The Herodian stares back blankly, as if he hasn't the slightest idea what the rabbi refers to. Desperately trying to mask that the rabbi pierced the veil of his question without effort. The Herodian didn't want this, a fight or a debate. He just wants order. He just wants this rabbi to leave so they can go back to their business of the temple. The Herodian shuffles his feet nervously trying to think of a rebuttal that won't cause more trouble. He can feel the eyes of the others staring into him, the temple suddenly feeling as half as big and shrinking. This will get back to Herod. He will be disappointed that it did. The Herodian's life will be over. He looks back at the rabbi. The only eyes in the temple that aren't looking at him are the rabbis. 
His eyes have drifted back and up and behind the Herodian. Show me the coin used to pay the tax. The rabbi breaks the silence. The Herodian breathes again. Relief. Maybe this rabbi didn't have a plan after all. He must be trying to buy time. The man in the corner cocks his head to the angle of the rabbis. He's far enough away to avoid being noticed, but close enough to see and hear everything. Is the rabbi just buying time? The Herodian turns to his fellow leaders to see who had a coin to give him. One of the Pharisees pulls out a denarius and from his cloak and tosses it to the Herodian, who hands it to the rabbi. He turns it over and over in his hands several times, studying the details. Suddenly, he thrusts it back towards the Herodian. Whose image is on the coin? And whose inscription? The Herodian looks carefully to make sure this isn't a trick. Caesar's. Watching these interactions between Jesus and the religious leaders often looks like a master chess player versus a checkers player. They approach him thinking they are one step ahead and then they learn quickly that they're about five steps behind. They're playing checkers while Jesus is playing chess. The rabbi definitely knew how to keep people's attention. Everyone has crowded around the two groups to see what would happen. Had he stumped the Herodian? Caesar, the rabbi repeats the answer. He knew the answer, everyone knew the answer. So give back to Caesar, what is Caesar's? The Herodian begins to speak, he's got him now. And give to God, what is God's? The rabbi finishes his thought before the other man could speak up. The Herodian falls silent before he could begin. He stares blankly again at the rabbi, taking in what he just said. Suddenly, the Herodian's face changes. A wave of memory flashes across it. It's one of the first lessons any Jewish child is taught. We are made in the image of God, in his image. The rabbi had used the coin to remind him, we still have to give everything to God. Everyone around the temple understood this language made in the image of God. It's right there in Genesis 1 on the first page. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's taking a brilliant shot at power. I mean, inscribing your face on money is a power play, right? It's a way to remind everyone that no matter how much money they acquire, they are still under your rule. Jesus just essentially said, yeah, that's fine. I don't really care about any of that. Money, control, power, that's boring to me. There's something so much greater and more beautiful going on here. The deeper truth is that we're all image bearers of the divine. So true life, real life is found in walking in that truth, not in trying to control people with power, which is quite a card to play in front of a bunch of religious leaders who are in fact trying to control people with power. I mean, no matter how you feel about Jesus, you have to respect the creativity here. He was a master at finding a third way to answer every question. He was always being presented with two equally bad options and finding a life-giving way out of it. Whose image is on the coin? Well then, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Sure, it's great, but more importantly, whose image is on you and me? God's. So maybe instead of trying to win silly arguments to prove points, we should devote our energy to participating in the love 
grace and freedom of God. The blind man is overwhelmed by what the rabbi has said. Give to God what is God's. He closes his eyes again, better for thinking. As soon as his eyes close, his mind takes him to three years ago. He knows this Herodian. He remembers the pace and speed of the steps, trying to keep up with Herod Antipas. Herod speaks in short, clipped statements, as if he can't waste precious time or words on this young man following him. Keep the people silent. That is your job. Your one job. Emphasizing the one as if to say you're good for nothing else. The young Herodian looks up at the man, the one man he admires above all others, and shakes his head in violent agree. Yes, too enthusiastic. Yes, yes, of course. More somberly, you can count on us. Good, as long as we don't hear a word from you, you are in our good graces. The blind man could feel the desperation of the young Herodian on his skin. A cloud of anxiety followed the poor young man. What does he have to be anxious about? The man thought. He has everything a man could want. Herod turns his back to the young man and briskly walks away, leaving the Herodian with nothing but hope and nerves. The young man manages a meager, yes, your grace, before Herod leaves the temple. The blind man can practically taste his disappointment and fear, so desperate to get approval from a man who just said he wants to never hear from him. The temple comes back into view. The man looks out from his corner at the rabbi and the Herodian. He saw right through the poor young man, he thought. Right through him. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. To find out more about the project, visit our website, storiesinscripture.com. Follow us on Instagram at storiesinscripture or on Twitter at SIS Project. And please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes.